The following resource is from lmpc.org and we're delighted to provide it freely to all. If you feel led to give towards the ministry of Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church, we welcome you to do so at lmpc.org give. Please stand for reading from selected verses in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. God said, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, and you shall not commit adultery, and you shall not steal. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Good morning. My name is Chad Middlebrooks. I'm the pastor of discipleship here, and I add my welcome to Wills this morning. Good to be with you to open God's Word together as we continue our series in the Ten Commandments within the broader study of the book of Deuteronomy. This morning we do come to look at the Eighth Commandment, Do Not Steal. And after the weightiness of the past of the previous commandments, you might be thinking this morning, all right, good, I think I'm safe with this one finally, one that I can deal with. But let me remind us that the commandments are given only after God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery in Egypt. And so these commands are rooted in a covenant relationship with God, who says, I will be your God and you will be my people. And so as we study this command, if we think about the command, do not steal, and we position ourselves to think that our relationship with our resources, with our time, with our money is all okay because we don't take from other people, and therefore we're okay with God, then we've actually missed the very heart of this command. Because this command, just like all the other commands, really it strikes at the very heart to expose sin in our lives and the many ways that we break each of these commands to call us to something far greater and far better than what we long and what we often settle for. And so with that, let's pray and then we will jump in and look at this command together. Let's pray together. Father, as we have just sung, our restless spirits do yearn and long for you. But yet, if we're honest, we often yearn more for the thing that our eyes can see than the one who created them. And so, Lord, we ask that now in our time together that you would capture our hearts by your living and active word, and that you would make it a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. If you would do this, we would return thanks and give you praise. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. 
You know, we think of stealing, we think of robbers like Bonnie and Clyde and maybe the wet bandits from Home Alone. I read a story this past week about the police in Oregon who were looking for a man who stole a vehicle from a grocery store. And driving away, noticed and realized, to his surprise, there was a four-year-old girl in the back seat. And so the man circles back around to the grocery store, drops the child off, and scolds the mother for her neglectful parenting and leaving the child in the car. And the police officer, Matt Henderson, said the man actually lectured the mother for leaving the child in the car and threatened to call the police on her. (laughs) And then he drove off in the car. You know, we think of stealing, we think of taking another's possession. And so naturally, again, most of us think, okay, we're okay on this command. Yeah, the others, honor your father and mother, that's difficult, and murder of the heart, all of that, yes, lust, coveting, we're okay with this one. But there was a study that Barna Group did years ago that said 86% of adults said that they satisfy God's commandment to not steal. And 91% of evangelicals say that they've kept this command. So shockingly, professing believers have more confidence than even the unbelieving culture around us that we have kept this command. But as we unpack it this morning, we'll see that what lies at the heart of each one of us is that we are guilty thieves. We're going to study this text looking at these three points, the rationale behind the command as we see the gift of ownership and the responsibility of stewardship. And then we'll look at the meaning of this command, looking at it both negatively and positively And then we'll look at the hope for those who break this command. So first we have to understand the why behind this command, not only to understand God's reasoning for giving the command, but also to grasp the depth of our temptation and struggle with this command. Now ownership of possessions is one of God's gifts to his creation. God has given each one of us personal properties for us to enjoy and to take care of, whether that's our home, our car, our money, our phones, our toys. But having ownership of possessions is part of what it means to be a human being created in the very image of the living God. And so it's good, it's right that we have things, possessions that we own. But we also need to understand the power of possessions at the same time. Because if you remember what Jesus says in Matthew 6, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, the way that we handle our possessions and steward what God has given us is a window into the soul to reveal what is most important to us. King David says in Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Meaning that everything that our eye beholds is created by God. He is the ruler over creation, but in his kindness, he entrusts to his image bearers dominion to steward his good creation. Now, children, a steward is just someone who cares for another person's property. But in God allowing us to steward his creation, we're not free to use his creation just as we please and as we want. We are to steward it unto the master's purposes and plans. And so when God created Adam and Eve in the garden, he entrusted them with his good creation. He delegated authority to Adam and Eve to care for his world, to steward it well. And so when Eve gives in to the temptation to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, she is in essence stealing from the tree. Because God had warned her not to take from the tree, 
And thus sin entered the world when mankind took what was not his to use. And in that moment, Adam and Eve, who no longer, they didn't want to be stewards over God's creation. They actually wanted to supplant God and be like God and be owners of the creation that God had given for them to steward. And ever since that day, you and I have a sinful, selfish tendency to take the good gifts and the possessions that God has freely given to us, and we twist them, making them into idols. And this causes us to act contrary to God's design for humanity. Because what started as a discontented heart, I don't have enough, led to an envious heart. Ooh, I want that. But that envious heart led to a covetous heart. I don't just want it, I have to have it. And that covetous heart led to an idolatrous heart. That is the only thing that will satisfy me. And that idolatrous heart is what leads us to steal and to take from others what God has not called us to take, and ultimately to rob from God. Philip Ryken, on his comment on this command, he says this, he says, ownership is not possessing things to use for our own purposes, but receiving things from God to use for his glory. So at the same time, we are forbidden to take things that do not belong from us to us, and we're required to use what we have in ways that are pleasing to our God. To put it simply, he says, the Eighth Commandment isn't just about stealing, it's about stewardship. And while the mindset of this command is clear that we are to have personal property, we are to steward what God has entrusted to us for His greater glory and for the good of His name and His purposes. God demands that everything that we have, our intellect, our possessions, our affections, our energy, our eyes, our property, all of it to be used for his honor and his glory. And when we don't, we are stealing and robbing from God. And when we steal, it's an affront to the God who created everything and gave it for our enjoyment to steward. It's the gift of ownership. If it is the gift of ownership and responsibility of stewardship, that's the rationale behind this command. What's the meaning of this command? First, let's look at it negatively as the command means do not take what belongs to others. Simply put, stealing is, whether it's from individuals or institutions, it's wrong because we're robbing others of what God has given to them. One person says, stealing is the desire to get as much as possible while giving as little as possible. Now, there are a number of different ways that we can steal from others. We can obviously be exhaustive this morning in our short time together. But I do want to mention just a few briefly to hopefully allow us to begin to evaluate our hearts to see how often we actually do break the Eighth Commandment in stealing from others. Now, theft is obviously a way that we can take from others, whether it's shoplifting, whether it's stealing Amazon packages from the doorstep of others, whether it's stealing candy from the Mapco or breaking into cars or school lockers and taking things that are not ours. And just an aside, I I learned this past week that shoplifting, what we often think is a teenage activity, 10% of Americans shoplift, and 75% of those 10% are adults. There's also intellectual theft, which includes cheating, whether on a test or a paper or taking someone else's ideas or work and pawning off it as your own. There's online piracy when we steal music, we steal movies or software or even subscription services that are not rightfully ours that we've not paid for. 
In the corporate world, there's theft that takes the form of stealing trade secrets and trademarks, stealing, selling defective goods and services, or enticing people to buy things that you know are not good for the consumer. We can steal when we cheat on our taxes or the government that God has placed an authority over us. We fudge the numbers so that we come out to the better, to the good. We can also steal as employers when we don't pay a fair wage to those who work and do an honest living. There's also predatory lenders who impose excessive loan terms for borrowers, and so they set interest rates really high. But there's also borrowers who falsify documents to get loans that they can't actually afford. Now, these are just some obvious kind of more ways that we steal, but what are some of the more subtle ways that we may not recognize? I was having a conversation with someone this past week, and they were telling me a story, and in the middle of their story, I interjected because I wanted to tell them a story that was very similar to theirs. And kind of after the conversation, as I was replaying and, of course, thinking about this commandment, I thought, I just stole the moment from that person to turn the attention back on myself. How often do we even do that? Our students, think about the ways that you're actually stealing when you're distracting in the classroom, surfing on your phone or on the internet while your professor or your teacher is teaching, robbing the teacher and the class of the time and energy that's put into that lesson, taking away from the class. Or maybe when you don't put forth your best effort, you do just the minimum to get by. In essence, you're stealing because you're not using the gifts, the intellect that God has given you to his glory squandering his gift to you. Or we can think about theft or stealing in the workplace. The show The Office is one of the most popular shows in the last 20 years, and there's many reasons for its popularity, but I think for one is that sadly so many people in office jobs identify with what goes on in that show. From portraying employees having all kinds of conversations that have nothing to do with the business related of the day, or stealing office supplies that to use for personal use, being late to work, or just simply surfing the internet, looking at memes and other videos online. These are just a few ways that we can steal from our employer in the workplace. But we can also be thieves in our relationships. And we want to be takers rather than being givers. Think about in dating relationships or even in a marriage, we can often try to control the other person's actions control their emotions, control even their bodies for our own purposes. And going off of last week's sermon, this would include viewing pornography because we are taking something that is not ours, another person's body, and viewing it for our own desires, for our own pleasures. This is stealing. We steal from God when we rob Him, when He calls us to tithe. And being faithful to steward what he's entrusted to us. So whether we're taking another's possessions, which is belittling what God has gifted to someone else, or whether we're robbing God, ultimately we're robbing him of his glory and of the position that is rightfully his as the God over all creation. And as we steal, we're living as though life is all about us. We're glory thieves, just like our first parents. We can't settle for the goodness that God has already entrusted to us. we got to have more, because it's not enough. 
The Apostle Paul reveals how pervasively we, th- we steal from others in Romans 1 and 3 when he talks about how we've exchanged the glory of the immortal God with the created things, calling us, causing us to fall short of his glory. Regarding the state of mankind, Martin Luther said this. He said, if we look at mankind and all of its conditions, it's nothing but a vast, wide stable of great thieves. Because if we're beginning to see that we're all thieves at heart, what's at the root? Why do we do this? Why do we take from others? I think there's various reasons that we could point to, kind of surface level reasons, whether it's we're just selfish, we're greedy, or there's an addiction there. But I think really at the heart of this, really what's at the root is there's this unbelief. There is fear there. We fear because we don't believe the very character of God as the one who is all loving, all good, and the one who provides. We take from others because we believe that the sovereign God in his providence is not going to make good and give us what we need. So therefore, we got to take things into our own hands. And we got to go after and we've got to take in order to get what we think that we need. We steal because we don't trust God's provision. I was thinking about the celebrity college admissions, college admissions scandal this past week and thinking, why do celebrity moms and dads Why did they lie so that their children could attend prestigious schools? There's fear. Fear that their children couldn't get in honestly on their own. And the parents' need for status and reputation, both for themselves and for their children, led them to steal. In a sense, stealing resources from the university that would otherwise go to someone else who was honestly admitted into the university. This is why even some of us Though we have a desire to do well and get a high GPA, get that dream job, we will actually self-sabotage by putting forth minimal effort. Why? Because we don't want to see realized what is our biggest fear, failure. This is also why we will often manipulate and try to control in our relationships because we are scared to death that we're not going to be accepted that we're going to be refused, that we're going to be seen as inadequate, insignificant by others. And I hope we're starting to see, just even in small ways, the ways that stealing is more than just an act with the hand. It is deeply rooted in the heart. Stealing is a direct offense to the covenant relationship that we have with God. So let me ask you, what are ways this morning, as we're talking about this issue, that we steal from others, that we're robbing God of what he's given to us. That's the negative side of the command, but what about the positive side of the command, which is to delight in sharing what God has entrusted to us? Now, throughout the Bible, what we find is that the opposite of stealing is not just to maintain our privatized world with all of our possessions and not take from other people, Though the opposite of stealing goes further than that, it is to actually share and give away to others who have need. The Heidelberg Catechism that we recited just a few moments ago, question 111, it says, I must promote my neighbor's good wherever I can and may, deal with him as I would like others to deal with me, and work faithfully so that I may be able to give to those in need. In other words, if I have the ability to help someone who has a need and I choose not to by withholding what has been entrusted to us, then I'm actually guilty of stealing from others. Whether that's withholding justice where it should be administered, 
withholding physical aid to someone who has need or financial help to someone else. John says it this way in 1 John 3, he says, but if anyone has the world's goods or material possessions and he sees another brother in need yet closes his heart to him, how does God's love abide in him? So if God's very character is love and generosity, if we claim the name of Christ, how can we not do likewise and follow suit of our master? Would you notice, though, the motivation for work in that catechism answer? Paul says in Ephesians 4, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands. Why? So that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Paul is revealing a kind of the, the theology behind work here. He says not only is the thief supposed to stop stealing and get an honest job, again, he takes it further. He says not only speaking to slothfulness, but we're to work diligently and honestly so that we can amass not enough material possessions and build our 401ks so we can have this luxurious and extravagant retirement. But actually, he goes on and says we're to work hard, yes, to provide for ourselves, but also to give away freely to those who have need around us. But now this mindset flies in the face of our culture, right? Because the culture says, store up for yourselves treasures on this earth while you can so that you can live comfortably and lavishly. But Jesus turns that on its head and he says, store, do not store up for yourselves treasures on this earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Store them up in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy, where thieves cannot break in and steal. In other words, my disciples are marked by generosity, kindness. But not only is this kind of living countercultural, but to be kind and generous is going to costly, going to be costly to us. It means we have to sacrifice. And so we have to ask ourselves, will we trust Jesus at his word that if he will not provide for the birds of the air and the flowers of the field, will he not also provide for his most prized possession, his image bearers? So each time we choose to be generous with what God has blessed us with, we're declaring that we will not allow our possessions to dominate and control us. One commentator notes that we have three possible attitudes towards our possessions. He says, one, he can, we can say, what's mine, or excuse me, what is yours is mine, and so I'm going to take it from you. Or, what's mine is mine, and I'm going to keep it. Or we can say, what's mine is God's, and I'm going to share it. How would you describe your attitude towards your possessions and what God has given you this morning? Now, I'm going to ask you if you think that you're a generous person. Nobody's going to identify themselves as being greedy, but would your spouse, would your roommate, would your friends tell others that you're a radically generous person in the way that you give to those who have needs? What are the specific ways that we're generous towards others? How are we using our time, our energy, our resources to advance the needs of others and the kingdom of God? Are there creative ways that we could actually use our profession and our skill set to minister to others who have needs and to those who cannot repay us for our services and compensate us? Or that we can do it out of the love of Christ because we know they have need and we can supply that need. 
How could you provide a listening ear even to a widow, to a shut-in, someone who's going through a difficult time right now? We've seen, even if just in a few ways, how we can break this command. So where finally is the hope for for command breakers like us? How do we become givers rather than simply being takers? Well, the only way that we can delight in generosity is if we have a new heart, a new motivation behind the way we live. The Bible says we are spiritually bankrupt because of our sin. We have nothing to offer a holy God but our sin. We can't cover the debt that our sin has amassed. But thanks be to God that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, who though he was rich, yet for our sakes became poor. So that through his poverty, that sinners like us could become rich. Jesus transforms this commandment because instead of taking from others, he gave to others. Coming not to have others serve him, but to serve and give his life away so that others could advance. Our motivation for generosity is the cross of Jesus. And if you'll remember, Jesus hung as he died between two thieves, one on his right and one on his left. And one of them looked at Jesus, realizing who he really was, and said, please remember me when you enter your kingdom. And the other mocked him in disbelief. And one of those thieves was redeemed because he looked to the one to his left, realizing this man is not a thief. He is the innocent son of God, while the other died in his sin and unbelief. We too must look to the one on the cross to see that we are in desperate need as those who steal to have Jesus transform our hearts to be generous. Many of you have either probably read the book from Victor Hugo or seen the movie or musical Les Miserables. The main character, Jean Valjean, is a peasant. He's a thief and he gets out from his charges and he finds refuge in a, in a church or a monastery of sorts. And after being there, he decides to leave in the middle of the night one night and he steals all the fine silver there. And the authorities catch him and they bring him back to the church and the priest is there and knows exactly what he's done. And he comes up to Jean Valjean and he says, why didn't you take the silver candlesticks as well? The authorities are astounded because they know his track record and the priest asks the authorities to release him. And he looks at Jean Valjean after he releases, they release him and he says, you no longer belong to evil, but to good. I have purchased your soul. I give you back to God. And in this moment of mercy and grace that he does not deserve, extended to him, he goes on and he says, as I stare into the whirlpool of my sin, Jean Valjean is now over. A new life must begin. That mercy extended to him that he didn't deserve transformed his life and he never forgot that moment. And this is what it means to be a Christian. We will not delight in giving away until we see what Christ has done for us as thieves who deserve death. Without seeing our desperate need for rescue, we might give away, we might serve others every now and then, but you know what? We're going to do it out of pity. We're going to do it out of condescension. We're going to do it out of arrogance because we can and they have a need, but we won't do it out of obedience and out of humility for what we've received in Jesus Christ. Let us not only be content with what God has provided us and what he will continue to provide us, 
But let us have hearts of gratitude, being generous with all that we have so that others can taste and experience the mercy and grace of our Savior just like we have. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you, those who are sinners, those who are thieves. We have taken what is yours, what you have graciously gifted to us out of your generosity, and we have abused it, wanting more, not settling and being content for what you have given to us. So Lord, we ask that you would cover us with your mercy and grace, that you would embolden us to not only rest in your provision and what you've given, but to be radical in giving away. Giving away, knowing that you will supply and knowing that you will bless. Father, there are great needs even within this church community, but also here in our community on the mountain and down in the city and all around the world. And so would you make us disciples who are generous, who are joyful in giving away because we know what we've been given in our Savior. We ask that you would do this for your glory and our good. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.